The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 117 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. So glad you joined us again this week. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, as I know my family and I did. It was fantastic. Before we get into this week's episode, a couple things to take care of. First of all, I want to thank Alessandra Johnson, Alessandra Johnson, for your five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for all the kind words, as we always mention it just helps other people to find the show. The more ratings we have, the more we show up when people are searching for uh, good, uplifting entertainment. So thank you so much. Also, uh, we've got something exciting coming up. Uh, Next week, we will have a normal episode, but the following week uh, will be the last week before we go on break. As I mentioned before, we're going to take a few weeks off And I decided we should do something special. Last year, we had all the podcasters got together and did a special episode for Christmas, which was so fun. But one of the blessings of the show is that I get incredible letters and emails and uh, just messages on Facebook from all of you. I get the most amazing messages from our listeners, and I would love for you to star in that episode. Uh, Basically, if you will send me a message of what Christmas means to you, you can send just some thoughts on Christmas, a story, something about your children, something about when you were a child, something from last week or last year, whatever it is, something to do with Christmas and uh, maybe what the Savior means to you, whatever it is. Uh, And then I'm going to read those stories from our listeners. If you would email them to me at sean at latterdaylives.com, that's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com, or send it to me on the Latterday Lives page on Facebook. I would love to do one episode just featuring our listeners, and please let me know if you would prefer I don't use your name. That's perfectly fine. I just need to know. Otherwise, we will let people know who sent it. So please get those sent in. And again, that will be uh, one week, let's see, two weeks from the release of this episode. All right, this week in the conversation, my guest, April Maservi, is such a talented singer-songwriter and just one of the coolest people I've ever met. Very humble and just a beautiful voice and an amazing soul. I'm so grateful we were able to connect. Her story is amazing. You are going to love it. And this week in my latter-day life, I'll tell you some thoughts I had while walking around a mall. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today in the Latter-day Live studios, it is my pleasure to have an award-winning singer (laughs) right here, so talented, April Maservi, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so excited about this. I want to quickly give a shout out to your stepdad, Wayne, (laughs) who connected us. Mm -hmm. Wayne, one of the best guys I know. Uh, I bumped into him and he told me all about you and got us connected and here you are. We are going to talk today about, when I say award winning, 
I mean, multi-award winning and globally famous and everything else. But before we get into all that, let's hear a little bit of your backstory. Tell us where you're from. From Reno, Nevada. So I was born and raised there. Um, loved growing up in Reno and then moved here for college to Utah. Yeah. Went to BYU. So we look, grew up in Reno, the biggest little, what is it? The biggest, biggest little, little city in the world. The biggest little city <laughs> in the world. That's right. Reno's a neat place because Reno actually has a large Latter-day Saint population and a lot of gaming and other things that are not as savory. Yeah. Right, right. You kind of get the mix. But you also, yeah. you have Lake Tahoe and everything yeah. right there. So tell us what you were into like when you were a kid, when you were growing up. What were you like? Well, we always love Lake Tahoe, so that's just sort of our lake. Mm, and it's neat that it's so close. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got the desert, this beautiful desert scene, and then you can just like 45 minutes away be in this lake mountain And trucking sort of area. in the mountains yeah. and all that. Yeah. So we actually beautiful. honeymooned in Tahoe. It's awesome. Oh, did you? Great place. Nice. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So at what age did you realize you were a singer? You know, we always... I think we were just always um, encouraged to to share through music. Like my dad loved to sing, and he did a lot of different mm. singing throughout his life. And then my mom loved to sing. She, when we were young, she would um, write a lullaby for each of us. That no was kind way. of like our personal song. And so I I grew up, and I just remember her singing to me, and she'd stroke my hair and sing my song. And it was special because it was my song, and my sister had hers. That is amazing. And everyone had theirs except for I think my last. I think my last brother too. She was so busy at that point with kids. I think they. I think she's worked on maybe pieces of those. But um, but anyway. And then my dad, like they just always shared music and loved it. Our grandparents did. So I think it was just a house where we appreciated it yeah. and loved it. And so I was singing from. I don't know. I was young, making up songs with my sister about who knows what random things around the house or <laughs> made up That's stories. Awesome. How many siblings were there? Now there are six. So six. there were in in the original group there were five. Yeah. And then my last brother came later. So Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you you grew up in and it was a Latter-day Saint family? Mhm. Yep. Yeah. Born and yeah. raised in the church. Yeah. And so growing up were you did you start at what age did you start performing? I mean, it was elementary, I think, or even even maybe younger cuz I think there was a group called Sunshine Generation, like a mm. singing and dancing thing and you're young. And also, my parents got us into ballet and tap and jazz, just like the typical, hey, let's try these different fun things, swimming, music. Yeah. And I think for me, it just sort of quickly uh, became something where music took the lead for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I just enjoyed it so much. Were you the family that sang in sacrament meeting? No. As a family? <laughs> no, it wasn't quite like that. No? So it wasn't one of those things. Um, we all loved it, but the truth is, um, and we still all love music, but there's a couple of us who have more pursued it a little more. Yeah. Oh, you're not so, the only one. Yeah. My brother James just barely got into Cambridge and he's doing conducting. What? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, but his story has taken a while and each of our stories are a little different, but everyone has a great love for music. And I think that's what helped for me as I was experimenting with songwriting mm. and experimenting with singing at all hours of the day and night, which, oh, that is just you know, cool. 2 a.m. in the morning and, <laughs> you know, my mom's like, oh, it sounds great, April. You thinking about going to bed soon? But, but the thing is, it, I mean, it's kind of funny, but they were all very supportive. And in fact, I look back 
And given how late I would sing into the evening a lot of times, especially as I was trying to start writing or I was singing again and again the same song in my room yeah, um, or out in the living room or playing the guitar, trying to, trying to learn to play the guitar, um, it's amazing how supportive they were throughout that process. Um, I mean, occasionally they'd heckle me a little bit, but it, they were very supportive of it. And for me, it's just sort of something that developed and blossomed in a way that became something I became yeah. more aware was becoming a serious love. Do you have a so. memory? I, I know we've we've had actors and singers and mm-hmm. you know comedians, whatever, on the show. Mm-hmm. Some people, it's just all very gradual, and they can't pinpoint anything. Mm-hmm. But some have a memory of that's the first time I considered that I performed mm-hmm. like for an audience. Mm-hmm. Do you have that one memory that kind of stands out? I, I would say yeah, and that was probably so. I don't do. I don't do much performing in the way of acting or singing in terms of shows like that. It's more folk pop, jazz, um, things like that. But when I was in fourth grade, I remember thinking I would love, like I loved all the musicals. So I would sing along at my Mm. grandma's house with Seven Brides for Seven Brothers or Oklahoma (laughs) or, you know, a lot of these old ones. And I just, it was so inspiring to me. And I realized, oh my gosh, I want to sing. I want to sing. I want to try singing on a stage. And so around that time, we were moving to another house in Reno. And so I knew there'd be this new school. And apparently, they had this drama type thing afterwards where you could be involved in an after school play. So for me, fifth grade, I ended up being Nancy in the play Oliver. Oh, wow. And so, and you, and you think, I think about it now, I'm like, that's a pretty heady role. Yeah. Nancy is a serious, it's a serious role. Right. She's a prostitute. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm a fifth grader, a fifth grader. Pl- playing this serious role of this woman who lived a life far from what I'd experienced by my fifth grade yeah. life and um, really trying to immerse myself in the feeling of that role and what it might be like to be her and live her life and experience it. And I took it very seriously. And tell. so I took it, I took it so seriously. I was like, I just want to experience and feel that and be able to give it a good performance. So I tried to learn the accent. I listened to it again and again, mm. like watch the movie, listen to it, tried to adopt it. Um, and so, yeah, singing like a, um, a bar room song out there as a fifth grader. And you're yeah. thinking, <laughs> You're thinking this is so, it felt so incredible. And I think after that, I was walking down the hall. It was just a fifth grade production in elementary school. Yeah. Nothing, you know, incredible or anything. But I just remember afterward having people come up and say, wow, you know, you really put your heart into that or, you know, great job. And I thought, oh my goodness, I was able to do something that seemed so much so much bigger than what I would have thought I could be capable of. Yeah. And so I, I think at that moment, it probably made me realize that was a lot of fun. You perform and you record. We've yeah. had some singers yeah. who record, some who just, you right. do both. Yeah. Is it the live performance? Do you get that excitement out of that immediate feedback? So what's interesting about that, and I guess I'll start here. When I was younger and I did that play, I felt like I was free of a lot of the fears mm. of performing at that time. That shifted for me. So there was a period of time I felt very free, very uninhibited. Then that shifted coming into high school. I became very shy, Mm. very self-conscious. So a lot of that for me, I was still trying to push myself out there um, to do things that were scary, but I I was very insecure. And so performing 
became so much harder for me then. I mean, to the point where I just thought, I don't know if I can even sing in church. It's that scary for me. So for me, it very much shifted. Um, At that time, that the fears of performing in in front of people became loom so large that um, I don't know if I had, so going back to the the thing where people have a particular moment, I'm not sure if I had had that specific moment yet, but I had a love for music and part of it was sharing a piece of myself and what happened for me over those years and in, I would say from elementary up through high school is I would sing in my room a lot or sing in the house a lot. And I did sing in a jazz choir at mm. the school, but I was so afraid even just to audition for one line or two line solos. Those things were very scary for me. For me, maybe my realization that I wanted to do it was during this time that it was very hard. I was singing a lot in my room. I'd sing my heart out and I think, why can't I sing like this? Why can't I have the courage to sing like this in front of people? Because every time I get up there, I feel like I'm going to die. It was that intense. It was so intense that even though oh. I wanted to do music, um, I was... I loved art and music, but this music is all was kind of winning out. Knowing where you are now, <laughs> I mean, I mean spoiler it's... alert: this doesn't last forever. <laughs> so, how do you break out of that? Well, for me, it was an interesting thing um, because I didn't know how I'd break out, mm. and it got to this point where I thought, "I love music so much. I want to share my heart through music. I want to write," and I was doing some of that on my own in my room. You know, it's it's awesome. I can see what a big deal this was to you. I can see you getting emotional remembering this. Because it was a defining point for yeah. me. Because I spent hundreds of hours in my room singing and working on the beginning of writing music that were more like real put-together songs. And um, it was hard for me because I realized at that point, as we were trying to choose colleges, and I'm sorry. Um, no, don't apologize. But... We've had a lot of guests sit in that chair and cry. I realize there's no way I can do this. I can't. I can't get myself to have the nerves because I realized I want to do a music career. I would love to do a music profession. I feel drawn to it. My heart Mm. loves it. I believe it it has impacted when I'd hear different people sing songs that I loved. I feel such a connection to them that I felt like it was like I had almost written it. And I thought, I wish I could do that Mm. and bring that give that back into music in the way that I receive it. Right. And so doing it in my room was one thing, but I was at this point where I was trying to decide for college, you know, I was wanting to apply for a music degree. But realistically, I thought, really, April? Because if you think about it, if you audition, you have to get up in front of people to audition. That's scary. And then after that, say you make it in. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, what will you be doing? A lot of performing in front of other people. And so that whole thing for me ended up um, sort of beginning to uh, focus on the reality. What's realistic here? This doesn't feel very realistic. And yet my heart bled music. So there there was a prayer I had um, sort of toward. I think it was a junior, senior year thing. And I just flat out told God, God, you planted this love within me. Mm. You gave me this love. But it is torture to feel like I can't um, move forward with it because of this fear that seems like I just can't like um, move forward. I don't really see a viable path here yeah. if this is going to be an issue. Right. And so what I prayed, it was just one of the most sincere prayers I've ever 
had, especially about my music direction. And I just prayed that he would either root out my love for music out of my heart because it's too torturous. Mm. Like either let me sort of let go of that love or help me find a path. And I don't know, I don't really see it. But if not, just pull this out of me. Wow. These are intense feelings. It was and pretty especially intense. at that young age, uh-huh. to be willing to, I'd rather let go of my love than not be able, you know, let go of my love of music than not be able to share it. Because I didn't see a path, realistically, because of how bad. much it gripped yeah. me. Yeah. Anyway, the response, though, that I got, and this was sort of a defining moment for me, is um, after that, I just felt this, and I don't know if it was during the prayer, I've written it out in my journal, but... Um, I had this basically impression, just give with your heart. That's all mm. I need. That's I can use that. Because my, my goal with music is I wanted to share in a way that could be a benefit to other people, like yeah. music had been to me. I wanted to be able to give. I, I knew God um, is able to help you take that and help it to be something beneficial to other people. That was my goal. After that feeling, I opened my scriptures. The first scripture I saw was in Alma. It was Alma 26, 27. Now when our hearts were depressed depressed, and we were about to turn back, the Lord comforted us. No uh-huh. way. And said, you know, basically go forward and I will give you success. It felt pretty, I knew, I knew it was personal. I knew it was from God. And I knew that it was something that I needed to follow. And at that point, I was like, okay. But he never said, and you'll be free of fear. And I will just clear that path. And, um, but he did say, give with your heart. And so for me, the pressure I felt to try to do it right yeah. lessened. And I knew I could move forward, even if it was scary. I knew he could take that, and he could move that. Where did you end up going to school then? BYU. BYU. How was your BYU experience? And I did do a music degree, and I did audition, and you I did, did all it. the things. You, you know? did it all. <laughs> I did all the things. Wow. And it, you know... I went in, though, with a clear understanding what what I felt God also sort of impressed is it doesn't there's no such thing as competition. Like, hmm. like That's don't important. worry, don't worry that a lot of other people are doing a great job doing it. You just do the best April you can do. You be hmm. the best April you can be. There's no competition around you, not laterally, not any other way. It's all about you each bringing your best self. And I think going into a, a degree at at BYU, which is pretty competitive with music, it felt, I didn't feel the same level of um, pressure in that way, but I did feel inadequate in many ways. Yeah, I'm sure. Because there are so many talented, wonderful people, and I really enjoyed, I loved and thrived on the synergy between all the different talents around Uh. you and collaborating. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and it was still scary to audition, and it was still scary to show songs in class and to just to put myself out there in that way. And there were times I thought, how on earth did I even get into this program? Because it's basically what the commercial music program is at this point. It's the yeah. it's more the media music track, the sing, the songwriting, the performing, the producing, the engineering. Uh, you finish up at BYU. Mm-hmm. What came next? What's the next big step? I was already writing an, an album. And so for me, it was continuing to finish and work on that album, which I really focused on for the next 
many years, actually. That as well as gigging and starting to perform out. I had a band in Reno. So I'd go home for the Was your band April Maservi and the band, or were you part of a band? Originally, it was just me and a couple musicians I met at a guitar store in Reno, Maytans, Mm. and ended up doing some music. Hey, let's do some live stuff. So we started to do some things. I was already starting to write. But at one point, the guitarist came to me after we'd been performing for a couple years, a few years, kind of throughout Reno. He said, you know what? This is really, we've talked about it, and we feel like we want to call it the April Maservi Band. Hmm. I We'd started to shift more to do some of my originals yeah. and covers, and um, that's where it sort of shifted over there, and uh, it was just, it sort of organically happened. Yeah. And then I was working on my album and kind of throughout this process, um, somewhere between sunsets. And for me, that was such a huge, to me, I I liken it to getting my PhD or, or something like that of that nature. It was on that level of hours, time, energy, financially. It was really big for me. Um, I was learning to produce my own songs. I was learning to, uh, improve my writing and figure out like, one of the things I love is, and I get excited about, is the actual producing of it. Hearing uh, the different instruments I'm imagining, the different feeling, and then mm. also within the recording, how can I explain in a way to the engineer or help work on like getting certain sounds Yeah. to those mixes even? Was it hard to say I'm done with an album? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and for me, I just gotten through school where we were encouraged and I loved encouraged to strive for excellence within our art and our craft that there was no reason that just because we're a Latter-day Saint that we shouldn't bring our art and our craft to the level of anybody in the world we should strive for that excellence there's nothing that should shortchange our efforts and also um, Ron Simpson always talked about raising the bar raising the bar and so for me I just I loved that it spoke to the part of me that was had these ideas that felt larger than what I could do myself or had done yet. And so trying to see if I could actually put those into recorded sound and see if that vision could come across in a way that could um, express thoughts that were very close to my heart, feelings, things that I felt were deeply important to me, and and to be able to share those in a way that sonically um, could express sort of what I feel and hear. So you put out your first yeah. album. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the album? Somewhere Between Sunsets. Somewhere Between Sunsets. Mm-hmm. See, and it's so pretty. I mean, it's Thank, you. Also <laughs> Thank you. pretty, Somewhere Between Sunsets. You put out the first album, mm-hmm. and uh, where did that take you? So that out al- and the album title, actually, I appreciate that you like that. For me, it was kind of like, it was pieces of, for me, what I experienced between a sunrise and a sunset, between one sunset to the next sunset, mm, all the things that happens in between. And so for me, it was a lot of personal stories as well as things, uh, stories of those around me that I'd experienced and seen and, and some personal stuff. After that, it was taking it on the road. Yeah. So it was touring. So at that point, once I released it, another friend of mine in LA was releasing hers. And she's from the Ukraine. Her name's Nikki Frova. And uh, she was living in L.A., finishing up hers. We had co-written years before one of the songs that was on my album called The Side um, that we were able to have prog strings on and all sorts. Wow. I mean, a lot of thing, a lot of cool things happened over the course yeah. of it to, um, to make it what it was. But So she was getting ready and thinking about touring, and I was thinking about touring. She said, let's, let's do this. And so we put together 
a whole grassroots level tour, uh, mostly West and Midwest, but it was nearly a three month on the road, city Mm. to city kind of thing. And that was our first tour. We actually did, we toured every single year after that for many years. And then recently she's talking again about potentially touring again this summer. Were you playing but, primarily bars and places like that? Or were so you halls? Or I had it? done a little more of the bar scene when I was younger. So for yeah. me, it was more like I'd done the the restaurant bars in Reno. I'd done, um, but we also did like outdoor, you know, the barbecue, uh, yeah. like the gr- best in the West barbecue. I don't know what, what you call it. I forget what you call it. But um, yeah, sure, some of these events, just though. events these around events, town. Yeah. But some of the places were like more bar restaurant scenarios and, over over time, the band members and I were like, you know, we don't actually have to play these places anymore. We've done this for a while. It's been a really good experience. But let's be a little more selective now. Mm. So at that point, I kind of got to that. By the time I was touring with her, it was much more selective. Although a lot of these places we hadn't played, right? So for us, it was a bit of playing like a theater here, a house concert there, an outdoor event here. Yeah. All along the way. It was really a big mix, but we we tried to stay away from that. We did do one or two of those, and they were still good experiences. But in general, um, we were trying to go more toward the audience that seemed like they were there for the music. How often does it did it come up at that time with fans that, that you were a member of the church? Did that ever kind of come forward? On and off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for me, I've always felt like... And, I kind of realized it's really important for me to just be who I am. And that means that I think you hear other people talk about this. I don't need to push anything in to make it sound like I'm Mormon. I don't have to pull anything out to make it sound like I'm not. I'm just going to be who I am, share my stories. Awesome. I happen to be a Latter-day Saint. I'm very proud of that because of what it's done for me and the way it helps. It's sort of a it's it's a lens with which I view and interpret and even some of the music that I do. You know, it's interesting because sometimes yeah, I remember this This guy was downtown Reno doing a gig at the Esoteric before it was torn down. And I was doing a show down there with my band, a real different group of people, just a variety of uh, friends, people from wherever. And this biker guy comes in just looking like, you know, tough Harley dude, kind of just, but nice. They're always nice, right? Anyway, he, he, he stayed there, listened for a while. And afterward, he came up, I think on a break and just said, I know I needed to be here. Um, gosh, I noticed there are a lot of spiritual overtones to your songs. Mm. So it's like, and he said, it really touched me. And so I think I think the thing is like, people can sense, I think when we write authentically or share authentically, whatever it may be. And you know, sometimes it's not even like a song that you would connect that. And sometimes it is, but I feel like, yeah, it would come up if people would ask or if they said, hey, what's your background on this? Or are you are you Christian? Or are you, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I am. And so, and then we did do some gigs along the way as well. We'd hook up with people and do maybe play a steak center. How cool. And then play a theater the next night or whatever. So yeah, sometimes it was Were audiences members- that included members. A lot of times it was not. So you get done with all this touring. What came next? So it was continuing to record and write. And yeah. then continue, and then going back out on tour. So we we did different kinds of tours each year. One was more like a flying tour; we'd fly different places. One was more driving. Another one is like a mix of that. You're the true touring artist. <laughs> I mean, you're the. You know, I feel I feel really fortunate because 
it takes a lot of work to put together like a grassroots tour, but it has been one of the most life-changing, most beautiful, most powerful, growth-inducing experiences of my life. There was a musical moment I had this one time when we were coming through Arizona, and it might have been the second or third time we'd come, come through, and it was just a small musician store. And I just remember standing up there singing and feeling this just wave of, you are exactly where I want you to be right now. Mm. You're right where I need you. What a blessing. And I think that we all can, ex I think we all experience that yeah. in different ways and different places in our lives as we're doing something that we have felt drawn to and that God has placed within our hearts, even if it hasn't come easy. And even that if it doesn't awesome. come easy, even in the process. Sometimes, especially when it doesn't come easy. I think we appreciate those more. That's and when the those... answer is more important. So I have to put yeah, you on the spot exactly. and ask you a, a little bit of a behind the scenes question about entertainers. Mm -hmm. Do you have a green room writer? A green room you where what you require? <laughs> yeah. No, I do not. You don't have a writer? I do I, not. But, but I just wondered if there was, you know, on the diva scale. Yeah, a lot of people do know... I don't because it depends on the gig and what yeah. they can offer. Like sometimes, sometimes the best, like we've done gigs that were really swanky and cool and ritzy and, yeah. you know, and I do stuff like that. But then I do the gigs where, you know, the person's like, if it's in a house, for instance, yeah. out in some town, the best thing you have is like the bathroom is yeah. the green or, or a changing room or like right. I sang for one of my friend's weddings and um, it was interesting because Lindsay Sterling was it was her sister and mm. anyway she was getting married and jennifer had asked me jennifer Sterling had asked me to sing at this and Lindsay was there playing too so we we're doing a song together and we were both okay can i just stop that for a second yeah. <laughs> wow this is a wedding you've got Lindsay sterling playing with april masservi singing that's a pretty memorable wedding i gotta think all the guests were going holy cow it was a, it was a beautiful wedding it was small that is amazing and for a friend i care a lot about and and it was really incredible and it was yeah. fun to be able to do something with Lindsay. um and then i would think so but it was funny because we're you know Lindsay and i are setting up some of the stuff for the wedding right beforehand because it's her sister yeah and then <laughs> and then we're changing like you know i'm trying to change in the in the same room that Lindsay's got all, all of her stuff because she's been staying the night over there i think it was at a family member's house and then we're switching rooms she goes out of the living room i go in to change How funny. you know but i i think that some of the conversations with people musicians like Lindsay, we have any i mean the the few conversations we've had over time have been significant her sister conversations i've had with her sister jennifer who I, i've known more um have been really significant but just the opportunities to connect with people, I would say like part of the joy and the beauty in all this, music is all about connection. Yeah. It's all about connection. That right. is the joy. That's the thrill of it. That is the God gift yeah. of the whole thing where he reaches in touch between two people and it's receiving and giving. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I forgot your question even, but that, no, the those are some of the things about, that I- And I should tell our audience- that a, a writer is what a performer requires. Oh, okay, yeah. And in a green room, <laughs> the green room is where where you are before you before and after your performance, where you hang out. And sometimes I've I've seen I've personally mm -hmm. when I've performed with mm -hmm. some comedians, mm -hmm. you'll see writers where it's like you know I need M and M's but no yellow. 
Right. And right. I, like, <laughs> or I need bottled water, and uh-huh. it's this brand, and it's only available. You have to order yeah. it in advance from Florida or whatever. Like, yeah. Funny stuff. So you know, that and was each, more of a silly question. Well, that's, it's a good question, <laughs> though, because each artist has their own pre-show uh, stuff they do. Yeah. Sort of, sort of rituals. What they eat, what they drink. Just, yeah, just naturally Everything. they come about yeah. or, or because it's what helps them feel comfortable. Yeah. And for that. some people, you know, you need certain things. In certain situations, we are able to have more of that. And in other situations, to require that would, would put people out in a way that, frankly, we can improvise at that moment. Yeah, that's you know, cool. you can improvise and yeah. try to do what you need to and then just pray that you'll be ready in the way you need to, even if you didn't get time alone to say a prayer or whatever you say right. prayers you're going on, whatever. That's you know? just awesome. I want to make sure before we uh, we run tight on time, you had a big, big, big moment. <laughs> Tell us about With or Without You. So I didn't intend to record that. I was at the end of a relationship that had been on and off for many years, something very mm. significant to me. And that I wish had worked out at the time, and it hadn't. And I was in tears talking to my engineer, who was also a friend of mine, that I was working on some stuff with for another Mm. girl. And she was running late. And so I just kind of, he said, how are you doing? I just started unpacking the story about how I was doing, which included a lot of tears. (laughs) Like, I'm not, I'm doing okay. I'm not doing okay. Um, (laughs) And... At one point, I just said, I just, I feel like I cannot live with or without him. Okay. That, yeah, come that on. was the moment where he <laughs> turns to his keyboard, starts to play some of the chords, you know, said, get into the ISO booth, was just this makeshift room at the time. And, um, and I was like, thinking, what on earth are you talking? Like, we Why don't we do, do a song this? right now. I am like in pain. And this is not one of those moments. This is just, but he just said, no, just, let's just, let's just do this. So I pull, I pull up the lyrics in that little room, you know, I get to the mic, I pull up the lyrics and literally I'm scrolling down, reading the lyrics. It's a song I'm very familiar with. I have loved that song for so many years, but you know, in a different way, like, but as I was singing it, so I was singing as I was scrolling on my phone with the lyrics Wow. Singing, singing lines I had heard so many times before that I was hearing and feeling in a different way, and singing in a different way, just simply because I didn't, I didn't realize how much it could apply to how I was feeling. Right. And so as we were doing it, it just turned into this thing where he started playing. He played it live and recorded it while I did it. And so it ended up being something where we did it in the moment. He sang a little backup part to it, and it was very therapeutic. Mm. And I sort of considered it that. Figured it was done. Yeah, we it was. It, it was stuff. therapeutic. It was yeah. meaningful. It was a, a really important, helpful way to grieve, and I was grateful for that. No intention. Of you were at a it. great spot to sing that song because it's an emotional song. I was in. You the, had already said it. Yeah, yeah I was in perfect the, time. So, so then within the next few years, just over the years, I just kept feeling that prompting. You should release this. I'm like, no, I really shouldn't release this. And here's a couple of reasons why. I'm afraid for a couple different reasons. Uh, one being that this is a very personal story. And I know if I share it, I'll need to give some sort of a blog post or an introduction to yeah. why I'm releasing this. Second of all, like, I know a lot of people do cover songs. We all do cover songs. But this is a song that for me, I sort of saw as a U2 sacred song. Like, for the diehard U2s, it is perfect as it is. 
there's no sense in even bothering. It's hard to hear it from someone else in some sense. When you already feel and know it and have a connection yeah. to it. And that's how I felt. And I thought, I don't necessarily, I'm a diehard YouTube fan. So I didn't necessarily think, I guess I just thought that's too scary. And for all the diehard fans who may not like my version, I'm not sure if I want to put it out there. Plus it's really personal. For me, when it happened and I started to realize that I kept feeling this impression, this is the brave thing for you personally, to share the story of loss in, mm. in a personal way with, with your friends and family and those who follow you. And it's also something you're scared to do musically because you already think, why have another YouTube version, uh, I mean, version of yeah. YouTube song out there for what you're doing? And so between those things I knew, I had to do it. Right? Because that's what you do right. when you're trying to push yourself. And so I knew over time that that I was going to need to do that. And so I uh, we wrapped up a couple things on the track. He fixed a part in his vocal. Um, we solidified the keys a little bit, mm. added a cello very low in the mix, and did a mix of it. And um, But it was still your original vocals? Yeah, it was the original day. lead vocal other than wow. one word which we punched. It was the total same yeah. vocal. It was interesting because then when I released it, I was so scared when I pushed like, you know, <laughs> when yeah. I knew I was sharing Publish. this story, <laughs> I was like, now I put it out, I can't pull it back. Within that next 24 hours, I was kind of in that daze of, did I want to just share this personal part about this experience? And it, it seems weird to say that because as musicians, we're always putting out personal stuff. That's what I did for years before. I've always been putting out personal stories that are, it is, you're, you're like hand in your heart on your heart out to people trying to share but a piece of your journal. That. I think normally but you control that. That's the that. thing. And this, this was not one, a story I was sure yeah. I was ready to share other than with close friends and family. Right. I felt really good about having done it. Yeah. And at the same time, it was like, wow, what I just well, do. Scary. Sure. Surprisingly, the response was overwhelmingly so positive. Yeah. And for me, I guess I was a little surprised that even those who loved you too, we're open to another version of it, um, given that it is one of those tracks for me that I just feel like is so, like, untouchable. So I'm, but I'm, I'm uh, a U2 super fan. Oh, cool. And <laughs> I you. hadn't listened to your version uh -huh. until recently. Yeah. And I played it with a skeptical ear, wondering so now what be I honest. think. Totally honest. It's your song now. Thank you. In that version. In that way, right. In that it's, way. It's not meant it's to not be the other. It's not a tribute to U2. It's not, you took no. what they did, and yours is so different. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you used the word earlier or if it's just in my mind, but haunting. Yeah. Yes. It's a haunting. I don't know if I said that, but that is. Beautiful, haunting version. Thank so you. So not only was it well-received, but this leads to something yeah. major, major. What I didn't know was that two skaters, two figure skaters up in Canada, who happened to be the top figure skating team <laughs> in Canada, were brought the song by their choreographer, Julie Marcotte. And it was Eric Radford and Megan Duhamel, who was the skating couple. Yeah. And um, so they heard it and they felt a real connection to it and ended up deciding to skate to it for their season and then into the Olympic season. When was the first time you saw them skate to your song? So it's when... Megan tagged me, so she had written a post that I didn't know about, all about Olympic prep, uh, Olympic season prep, and um, in August she tagged me on Facebook, said thank you so much April for this beautiful music, and uh, and so I saw this little video, a snippet of these two skaters practicing, and it was to that song. Yeah, and I was shocked. First of all, I was like, oh my gosh, that's 
that's really cool. Who are they? And I didn't know if they were local skaters who were just exceptionally amazing because it was only a little piece that I got to see, right? And um, so I just Googled. I Googled her name and the guy's name and mine and found the blog entry that she had written about finding the song. And that whole experience was, I read that late at night, I remember, in August, and my heart just, you know, when you feel like you did something that was scary, you knew you should, and you feel really good about it, and then God comes in with this warmth of, this is a piece of, this is a piece of what you couldn't have understood. This is why, yeah. It's a piece of it. and. And yeah. in it, I read that she talked about how they'd had struggled during that season. And they were wondering how they were moving forward, if they could move forward well. Eric had been injured. She felt like she wasn't skating as well. Mm. They're kind of wondering. And they'd had really successful. They were two-time world champions. They'd been very successful. Yeah. But they weren't doing as well. And they were trying to decide even if they should move forward. They were feeling really mm. just kind of deflated. And... And then Julie sat them down, played the song for them, and they said that. And I was I was reading this on the blog, and it basically said we were in tears. This was it. This had to be it. Like that, listening to that song gave them hope that, that they is could so amazing that they could kind of re- not reinvent but move forward and continue in a way and skate better than they'd ever skated. Yeah. Was what she had said. And so this leads cool. to them skating to mm-hmm. it in the Winter Olympics. April Masuvi so singing with or without you <laughs> and the entire world is watching. How was that? Honestly, it still feels surreal and I still pinch myself and the entire process I just thought this is so incredible. And especially given for for me seeing I guess seeing God's hand so clearly in this because I felt him impressed that I should do this thing. And I was yeah. trying to, to act in bravery. But knowing that he could take and do things that I couldn't do, but they were hurting. The song spoke to them. This was a song that came from grief. So it wasn't even like, it's funny because it's not it's not a particularly uplifting song per se. Yeah, it's a but painful something, song. Yeah, but something that I have come to learn and especially love about God is that he wants us to bring all of what we have to him. Like yeah. the sad, the hard, the good, we bring it all. We don't filter with him. We bring it all. And so what happened there and what was so exciting about going to the Olympics is this was a song that came from, I guess, a lot of grief and that and that was particularly sad that gave them hope that, that, awesome? that they could actually go to the Olympics, yeah. skate in the Olympics, skate better. And it's interesting how how that worked. And at the end, they they um, when we were able to go there due to anonymous donors... Like yeah, I was so able to go talk there. Talk about that. You actually went. I got to see them first perform and win the nationals in Canada for the seventh their seventh consecutive title in January of wow. 2018 last year. And that was an anonymous donor who flew us out. I still do not know. I have no idea. Really? It was not family. I I it wasn't family. I don't even know that it's someone I know particularly well. But that that allowed us to kind of like well, to me to get there, to be able to see it, to meet them. And then at the Olympics, another anonymous, I don't know if it's the same group, a person, I don't know still. It wasn't them, though. You were just told, it wasn't hey, them. someone has paid Someone for or some go. them, some, some people. Yeah some, yeah. some group or whatever. Covered it, and then we were able to get, and so I was able to actually go to South Korea with my mom and my soon-to-be fiancé to, wow. to experience and 
see it live, be a part of their, when they ended up winning and being in the medals. Um, they have a room upstairs for sort of the victory toast and then be at the Olympic stadium when they receive the medals and have Eric come out. This one of the most just highlights of my life um, experiences was when Eric came out and they just received a gold and a bronze medal because they took away a gold and a bronze medal from this Olympics. Unbelievable. Having him pull off that medal, put it around my neck, right out of this, right after he was co- had come out of the stadium and greeted us. You've had a gold this- Olympic medal <laughs> around your neck from a skater who skated to a song you sang. It's just... April, I... Only God could do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, only God, because only God can do, I feel like, and and here's the other thing that was so amazing about it. It's the first time in the history of the Olympics for figure skating that lyrics were allowed for figure skating. Mm. So this was also a new thing in the history of the Olympics with figure skating. Lyrics being allowed, it was kind of a big topic on Billboard and all over the place. Yeah. So a lot of the, you know, part, there were a lot of interviews because it was also like really interesting the songs these yeah, skaters before, were choosing to use yeah. they were choosing to use ice ice mm. dancing had always had lyrics for a long time yeah. since like the 80s so april Amazing. incredible <laughs> so you get back from the olympics after the world i mean literally the world heard you sing <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. And then as alluded to earlier, you've recently gotten married. Mm-hmm. And that's a big adjustment. Oh. It's actually been a a relatively smooth adjustment, I think, for us. But I think the adjustment of the joy of having David in my life. Mm, Because for so many years, trying to work through the one relationship and then other relationships, for varying reasons, things not working out and and going through those griefs. But particularly that one long one was was the hardest for me. So finding David and having, having things work out over time... Um, so has been a, just, again, another act of yeah. God miracle for me because it's a lot of choice, right? It's our agency. We do different things. We make different decisions. And it's some combination, I think, of us acting and choosing to reach for things and then also God being involved. He is involved mm. in it in some way. And I felt that with, with David, with how things ended up working out with David. He is just an amazing man is he musical he's he's a lover of music yeah and i mean he loves music and he'll he'll kind of sing for fun uh but he has just a love and i think a depth of appreciation for music that i feel like he can really dig into with me and when he was there at the olympics i mean it just says something about who he is that he could go with me watching this song about a previous relationship yeah being there as this song and the story and i'm doing interviews talking about it all over with the Washington Post and different places about this past relationship. Well, he's yeah. my current relationship and how much that past relationship had meant to me and been a big deal. And yet at the same time, he was able to be there with me, sharing the truth of my story with that, yet knowing that I was leaning into this relationship with him. This was a story that mm, was what a good guy. like the two worlds kind of combining and him being there yeah. with me. It just says something about him to be able to do that with such... Um, love and grace and he was so supportive of it uh what a great guy what a great he's wonderful for you uh if people want to check out your music and let me rephrase that people need to check out your music it's not (laughs) 
if you've got some great originals, great covers, you've got videos, it's all on your website, aprilmaservy.com, and that's M-E-S-E-R-V-Y.com. Your website is beautiful. Like Thank it's, you. It's a super pro, gorgeous website, and people can download or stream directly from the site. And then you've got a few albums out. You're kind enough to bring some CDs here, which I'm just thrilled about. But uh, what's next? What do you think? What's next for April Maservi? Well, I'm working on some new recordings. And first, I just want to say, Sean, thank you so much for having me. I, I, had already, I had already heard so many wonderful things about you. And your connection to my stepdad has been really special. But I just want to thank you for letting me come and share. Oh, it's my um, honor. Next, I've been working on some, I mean, some recordings I've been working on for several years, actually. Each of them are in a different stage, so we're l- releasing them in pieces, but they're ones I've been working on for the last several years. And uh, so just more songs that we're getting ready to release, either as singles or EPs. I'm trying to figure out whether they're packaged some as a group because they make sense together or separately or as the full album. Awesome. So it's so exciting. cool. Well, we will be tuning in, checking it out, following you to make sure that we know what comes next and we'll be sure to share it on all of our social media. This has just been awesome. And what a cool story to go from, and it's a classic gospel story to go from a little girl who has a passion in in her bedroom, too scared to take it outside, puts her faith in God, trusts the process, trusts the steps and ends up sitting in South Korea singing in front of the entire world. I don't know of a more inspiring story. I'm just so grateful Thank we got to you. sit and talk. We're going to uh, wrap things up with the question that we ask from all of our guests, and that is, April, what does being a member of the church mean to you? I think being a member of the church for me means trying to be as close to as close to the Spirit as possible, and particularly because... He knows things about us and about our capabilities that we can't know about ourselves. So for me, it's it's living in a way that leans into the way he works with us, even if at times it feels confusing. Um, and for me, I still get nervous to perform on and off. It, it, that part hasn't fully gone away. I don't think it ever probably will. But for me, it's holding on to him and walking with him mm. in the nerves, in the journey, through the ups and the downs, knowing that he... I know that he loves me. I know that he will walk with me. And for me, being a Latter-day Saint is that knowledge. I guess it's just the joy of knowing that he is there through every piece of it. Even if at times it's hard to see him, because there have been times that were harder for me to see him. But for me, it's figuring out that relationship every mo- a little bit more every day and leaning into it and what he has. Absolutely beautiful. She is a singer, a songwriter, a new wife, a global <laughs> phenomenon, <laughs> I don't know singing at the Olympics. How does it get better than that? Or I guess having your music played at the Olympics. Absolutely incredible and definitely a, a special daughter of God. April Maservi, thank you for sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sean.
And my special thanks to my new friend, April Maservi. What an incredible story to go from being a little girl scared to sing outside of your room to suddenly the world is listening to your incredible voice during the Olympics. I love her story. Thank you so much, April. I want to remind everybody once again, please send me your Christmas thoughts or stories. It can be a short thought of a few words. It can be a story, something that happened to you. Just send me, please, and I will share it on the show. We'll have a big Christmas episode, and I may have a couple of Christmas thoughts of my own. I'd love for you to participate. Again, I can be reached at Sean at LatterdayLives.com. It's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. This week in my Latter-day life, you know, we had Thanksgiving, which was so fun, so wonderful. And then on Saturday, as I've mentioned before, I have two sons with some learning disabilities, one whom we just adopted, and then my other son, David, uh, who's 25, and they live in group homes in Provo. And David called me on Saturday saying that he was really bored. <laughs> and he wanted to go do something. So I went over and I picked up David and I picked up our new son, Cameron, who's 19. And we decided we'd go over to the mall and get some dinner and then walk around the mall. Now, there are two malls in the Provo Orem area there, and one is in South Provo. I, I still consider it the new mall. Uh, it's probably been around, I don't know, 15, 18 years now, but I still call it the new mall. Uh, and I don't think I've been there for years, years. It's a lot further away than the other one, and I'm not a big mall goer, but uh, we decided that would be fun. We went and parked, and I got to thinking... This is Thanksgiving weekend. This was on Saturday. Black Friday was the day before. I'm sure people are Christmas shopping. The mall is going to be packed. I know it. And we pulled in and parked right by the movie theater, and it was pretty darn busy. And as we walked through the movie theater area, tons of people. I thought, oh, this may have been a mistake. And then we went over to the food court, and we ordered some food and sat down and had dinner. And it was It was busy. There were still a lot of people there as well, but we hadn't been into the main mall. And after we finished dinner, we went to walk around the actual mall, and it's a two-story mall. And as we walked, I was absolutely shocked at how few people were there and how many of the stores were closed. Now, from what I understand, the other mall uh, here in our county thrives and does very well, but this mall seems to really be struggling. I mean, for it to be the day after Black Friday, it seemed to me like it was mostly empty. I mean, there were just not a lot of people walking around and so many shuttered stores. It was incredible to me. And I hadn't thought about malls very much, but when I was a teenager uh, back in the 80s, uh, the mall was everything. That's what we did. We went and hung out at the mall. It was food and movie theaters and walking around and shopping. And I worked at our local mall, Oak Ridge Mall in San Jose, California. I worked at the Music Land selling tapes and CDs. I worked at a toy store there called Imaginarium, which went out of business. It was a chain of toy stores, but I worked at the Oak Ridge Mall. I loved it there. And it was always packed. And let me just tell you, anytime in the Christmas season, there would be nowhere to park and it would be almost impossible to walk around. It would just be terrible. And here this mall was almost empty. And I started telling my sons about what things were like uh, when I was a teenager. And especially my favorite place of all, Aladdin's Castle. 
that was the arcade and it was always dark in there and you could hear all the blips of the the video games and all the sounds and the quarters dropping in those times were magical to me i love them all and here it had changed one of my sons wanted to pick up a pair of headphones and his budget was $99 and he went into a store where they had them the ones that he wanted normally they're $140 they had them on sale for 119 And my son walked out a little bit dejected, saying, shoot, I thought they might be on a better sale. And I reluctantly got out my phone and pulled up Amazon. And sure enough, they were $99 from the manufacturer on Amazon. And we were able to order them. And he's getting his new headphones. And I thought, here I am in a mall ordering from Amazon. My, how times have changed. And I was a little bit sad But I'm grateful that we have Amazon, and I'm grateful for online shopping and for all the different ways that we can shop now that we couldn't in the past. And I have to let go of what the mall was in the 80s. And it's a lot like the church in that way. You know, we have had more changes in the past few years, and here we're about to start a new year. We're going to start with a new Young Men, Young Women's program And there are things that I will really miss about the old program. There are things I miss about three-hour church. Not always. (laughs) I don't always miss three-hour church. But sometimes, you know, and there are things that I miss about the old home teaching program. And it's funny to me still to watch the way missionaries teach. I miss the six discussions. And, you know, there are, but there are great things that are coming. And we have to let go of the past, but we can still look back fondly and embrace the past, but embrace the future. Change is good. And it's good to let go of those things, even if it means letting go of things in a mall. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We sure appreciate it. If you know someone that might enjoy the show, gosh, if you could share it with them. Again, next week we'll have a normal episode. The following week we'll have our listener Christmas Spectacular. Please send me those stories and thoughts. And uh, if you're not following us on social media, now would be a great time to do that so you can send in your stories. Well, that's about it for this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>